Jane Bond, um, obviously real estate agent extraordinaire, uh, real estate investor, uh, entrepreneur of multiple businesses now. Um, man, where do I even stop here? I guess I'll just start. I don't know. I'm getting tired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, author, author. Author, yes. Author, that's, 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 that's the newest one. Author, which is amazing. Thank God. Yep. Um, um, it's been a good journey. Hard worker. Um, and so we'll get into all that. But yeah, this is uh, very, very cool to have you back on here. Um, and I'm going to try to put some money and some mustard behind this one. <laughs> um, and so, cool. So let's start. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm really happy to get to these questions I have, and I really took the time to go through this book, and you know how um, I told you, I don't like to just zoom through, I really like to kind of ingest it, and so um, I really had a great time with it, um, and I think it was, I think it was a wonderful read, and um, I could see it getting made to, like I told you, I, <laughs> I could see it getting made to some type of series or show or movie or something like that. Um, yeah. God's ears. <laughs> He's speaking it. <laughs> I, 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 I can see that happening. Um, and so for those who are new to um, my platform on Instagram and, and TikTok and all that stuff, um, they may not have heard uh, of you yet. So for, for them, um, who is Jane Bog? How can we um, catch, catch the new people up? Um. Oh, interesting. Who is Jane Bond? Jane Bond is a very um, compassionate person. She has a lot of compassion and empathy for people. Uh, Jane Bond love, loves, loves, loves young people and millennials. I like their energy and what they're doing and how they're going about things. A lot of people, quote unquote, think um, they're a little different, but I think they're very factual, which I love. I want to know what's going on. I want to know the facts. Um, Jane Bond is uh, someone that can be a little uh, fearful of a lot of things at times, like everyone else, but always overcome them because that's just who she is. She's uh, somewhat of a superwoman. She puts her cape on and she flies wherever you know her destination may be in her head or her trajectory. Um, I'm a mother in my own right. I think I'm a mother to so many people. I'm a very nurturing person. Um, I'm ambitious. I love creating. I'm a creative and a business person. And sometimes those two get me a little confused. <laughs> so I have to figure that one out too. But that makes me who I am. Um, I'm six feet tall almost with big hair. <laughs> and I'm a real estate agent here in Naples, Florida who has just, um, turned another page in her life and opened up her own brokerage, the Bond Agency. Um, I'm also a new author um, of How to Land Your First Million Dollar Listing. And I wrote the book for um, agents like myself who got or get stuck and not sure which way to go and does not understand that this business is their business and they have to take it on as if they're running their own company. They are the CEOs of their own business, even though they hang their license 
with someone else under their umbrella. And it took me some time to really understand that I was building my own brand under the umbrella that I was with and um, preparing myself to do what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. However, uh, background check, I've had several businesses in the past that I was successful at. Even though I was successful in those other uh, capacities, um, each one of them was different in itself. And so was this one, real estate, which uh, took me some, some time to catch on to. But once I caught on to it, just like anything else, I just grabbed it by the reins and I ran with it. You know, um, I wasn't going after the gold ring. I was going after the platinum ring. And I think I snatched it and ran with that. Right. That's who Jane Bond is. Jane Bond is someone who, when she wants something and she puts her mind to it, she's going to get it. Not that she's going after it. She's going to go after it and she's going to get it. That's who Jane Bond is. Right. And so with that said, um, one of the points that stood out to me in the, in the book is something we hadn't talked about. Um, and it was, it was about your parents' influence on you as it relates to entrepreneurship. So I wanted to talk to you a bit about that. And you know, seeing as you, know, you have businesses prior and you have that drive, there's a lot of that drive rooted in um, what your parents instilled from you early, instilled in you early. Right. Well, you know, and um, David, in a lot of African-American families, um, we, we never sit down. I mean, if you have sat down with your parents, you're fortunate. You're one of the fortunate ones that have sat down with them and talked about financial literacy and generational wealth. Well, we didn't talk about that in my family. It just happened upon us because upon us because my father had to take care of us. You know, we had a large family and mostly girls. So that foundation that they were laying, it wasn't like this is what you're going to do and this is how you do it. It was like this is what is being done. And my eyes was open to it. And even though my eyes was open to it, I had siblings and they didn't catch up. So once I saw my parents change positions, my dad, I don't know if I ever told you, my dad only went to third grade. My mom was a registered nurse. She always wanted to be a female doctor. Those are her words. But she never had the opportunity because one, she took care of her siblings as she was coming up. Because My grandmother was working. My grandfather was working all the time. And then she was taking care of her own kids, but she was able to become a LPN and a registered nurse at RN. Mm-hmm. And she was working all the time, all the time, night shift. She was always up in the morning, feeding us, you know, taking us to school. I remember many days she would hold my hand and take me to school as a little girl. And um, my father was always working. And I remember the first, um, our, as far as I can remember back, he had an oil truck, he had an oil business. And I remember being in the truck, you know, <laughs> bumping up and down in the oil truck. And I remember seeing the ground. And I asked him, you know, why am I seeing the ground? And he says, because the panels are loose. And my father was so, he was such a good man. He would give out oil and not make enough money sometimes. So when my mom was there. So my father um, actually uh, 
had a friend who turned him on to the bar business. And once he got a taste of that and understood how to run that, which was a cash business, he started accumulating and accumulating. And I remember him retiring my mother as a registered nurse and giving her a bar, a physical bar to run. Mm-hmm. And she started running it. And before I knew it, she was not a nurse and um, everything was getting better. They were working all the time, but they seemed happier. They were making their own rules. Apparently they were making more money. We had nicer cars, we had nicer furniture and we had better clothes. And of course I peeped that. I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And as I got older, 15, 16, 17, and I started going to school and really understanding things and um, you know, being a business major, I started realizing, wow, this is, this okay. They really set me up and laid the foundation. So I understand now, mm-hmm. I can do the same thing. I can open up a business and become an entrepreneur and take care of myself and take care of my family if, that, if it comes to that in the future. And that's where my eyes were open. They actually laid the foundation without even realizing they were laying the foundation. You know, we t- never talked about saving money. We never talked about um, having a business of my own till I got much older. Mm-hmm. But in retrospect, if it wasn't for them, you know, pivoting, I would have never even thought about it. Who knows? Who knew? You know, of course, I was sitting on a stoop dreaming of the life that I saw on television like every other kid or wanting more things than we had. Mm-hmm. But it didn't come into picture until I saw that change. And that was where the shift happened. Right. Of course, when you read the book, I started my own little kitchen upstairs up one of the bar. Fry, I was slinging chicken, frying chicken, and making money. And um, that was interesting. That was an interesting time in my life. But it also opened my eyes to having my own business and counting my own money and right. saying, wow, I can do this. Right. So, that was the foundation. And, you know, to digress a little bit, I've never worked for anyone. I've always made the phone ring. The only job I ever had was flight attendant. I've never had another job where I got a paycheck. And when I was a flight attendant, I never even felt like I had a boss because I was up in the air flying around the world and we were having a good time. So it didn't feel like I had to punch anybody's clock. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so you, you come down to, and this is, this is part, um, I resonate with this too. So you come down to Naples and you're around, and you made this very clear in the book. You, you're, you're an all Caucasian wealth area. You're, the only black person out there, you just look around. <laughs> um, when, yeah. when you first, yeah. And I've been in these situations and it's, it's different. Um, for those of us who get put in these situations, um, how, did you, how did you find the ability to navigate that and make everything make sense and deal with the initial culture shock or anything like that from stepping into a new area and arena like that? Um, 
I, I think the culture shock was more of realizing there was no diversity. Um, not the interaction of the culture itself. Right. It just saying, oh, wow, I'm the only one. You know, where my folks at? <laughs> where my people <laughs> at? You know, that was, that was like, okay. It, and it's not like I've never been in those situations. Right. But this is a different type of situation because now I'm living here and um, designed by choice because I got married and I moved to Naples and actually the, the market had crashed terribly. Everything was going to boot at the time. Um, that was very interesting for me because it was more so, okay, I'm here. What am I going to do? How am I going to navigate through this? And it wasn't about... Uh, me getting in my own head about being black, selling, you know, wealthy uh, to wealthy people. It was more about, wow, I cannot believe a place like this exists and nobody's here. And it wasn't even about, well, I'm going to take advantage of this. I just did what I was supposed to do. And that's why I tell agents, you know, you can't get in your head about where you are or who you're around because no matter what, you still have to have the ability to sell because our business is customer service. Right. And that's what we do. We serve our customers. So if you come from that, if you, if you come from that ilk, then you understand business. And that's what it was for me. The shock was where my folks at, okay, it's only me. So I'm going to kill it no matter what. Know, and then when I realized there was someone else reaching out to me that looked like me, definitely I tried to help. And I did. So um, for a very long time, I would say up until my sixth or seventh year here, there was only me. And when I say only me, there, were, there are people here. There are some affluent Black folks here. Mm -hmm. However, they don't, you don't see them because it's so very little of them. Right. I have made a lot of friends with quite a few of them, um, but you still don't see them. I still don't see them when I go out. I have to call them and say, do you want to go out to dinner with me? What are you guys doing? You know, and I recall walking up to one person saying, hey, have you ever seen me? Have you ever so, you know, seen me in a supermarket or anything? I said, because I've never seen you. And she was like, I've seen you around. I'm like, and you didn't come up to me and say hello? See, that was, to, to me, that was the shocker because for me, since there were no people around, no folks around, so to speak, when I would see one, I would go right up to them and I would say hi and introduce myself. Or if I saw somebody walking past that, I, that probably was a tourist or just here on the weekend, I would say hello to them. And, and I don't know if it was the loneliness and, you know, I would say to my husband, you don't understand, I need that for my soul. I said, that's just who I am. You know, there's a swagger that we have. There's a, you know, there's a way that we act. Everything is just different, you know? And mm -hmm. I don't have to explain if I say something. Right. And those are the things you miss. Um, yeah, those are the things you miss. Or you're listening to music and you hear nothing that sounds familiar to you. <laughs> I, I used to like plowed through the radio stations going, oh my God, there's not even any music, you know? And the good thing, I mean, I'm into it. I'm, I have a very eclectic, you know. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, as far as music is concerned. 
But when it comes to some music, you know, like even oldies or something, I want to hear, you know, the Temptations, somebody, Aretha. And right. I remember wow, that's not even here. So it was very, that part was very interesting. You know, I think I called it, uh, not even sure, uh, Stepford Wives Meet <laughs> Pleasantville, <laughs> because it was truly that. So uh, that was a very interesting time. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. And so another thing that you brought up, even in your explaining this at the beginning, I'll, and I don't even know if people will catch it, but since since they probably didn't catch it, we're going to go into it. You started all this stuff um, after the crash. So basically during the crash, it's kind of like the tail end, because I think in the book it was around 2010. And so 2010 is around the tail, because 2008 hits. 2009 just kind of bottoming out and then 2010 you're still down but we're almost on our way trying to figure out how we're going to make that turn yeah and you and i find from doing what i do and teaching funding and all this stuff and work a lot of different people a lot of the successful businesses get started right in that that inflection point way down a lot of successful businesses start when it's really messed up um, I've even seen it happen right now with, um, with coronavirus when that, when that dip and everything was dysfunctional, some people came out of that really strong. Um, you know, that's, that's, you know, it's like anything you can only stay down for so long. You right. Know? And I knew once I was here in 2000, once I came here, I started coming here 2007, 2008, I think it was. Once I started coming, just visiting back and forth, um, I could see growth. I could see the potential of the city. Like you're talking now 14 years fast forward. The city mm-hmm. has grown unbelievable. I mean, and what's happening even now, I can't imagine in the next five, 10 years, how, what Naples will look like, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So it was interesting because the market did, you know, dip really, you know, low then. Um, and in 2010, I saw uh, the market turning again, and I thought it's my time to get in. I, you know, I, it was time. I had to figure out how to get in. And um, even though I had my license in New York City at one time, and I worked for Belmar while I was there, the market was thriving. And I was at 79th and Madison Avenue. That's where my office was there. You know, we had some bar- you know, some barracudas up in there. I mean, <laughs> that was like whoa. And I had dabbled into real estate a little, like in 2006, I had bought a couple of homes and flipped them. So I understood real estate and what it could do for you. Um, And now it was just a matter of getting in the market, still not knowing where I was and the wealth that was here. Once I understood where I was and how this train was about to leave the station, I had to get a seat on that train and keep moving. even four years into it, I still was nowhere near where I felt like I wanted to be after seeing my colleagues do this day in and day out. I mean, making Uber money. And, and that was interesting too, because I couldn't figure out how they were doing it. And I thought, well, you know, they're here, you know, am I gonna get in my head because I don't look like them? I thought, no, I got all the skills. You know, I can have a con- I can sit down and have a conversation with anybody. There's no fear when it comes to that. But the fear did creep in 
when I didn't know my business. If you don't know your business, you can't sell it. So I had to really understand my business and how to cultivate that to make it so that I could go out there and I could present in front of these people or anybody for that you know, matter. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, the fear was, it wasn't being in front of them. It was more so not knowing what I was doing, not being able to capture their attention over another agent that had more experience than I did and really understood how the business worked. So that was the fear. Um, but once I understood and realized how it worked and what I was supposed to put into it, how proactive I was supposed to bring, you know, everything to the table, I killed it. You know, right. and I think that's the whole, you have to understand the business and know the work that has to go into it to be successful at it. And I'm telling you something, at one time I thought I was going to die. It almost killed me. I was so tired and so exhausted. I was I remember falling asleep at the dinner table with guests because I was that tired. And I remember calling my coach saying, I don't think I've ever worked this hard in my life because it had to be consistent. You know, you had to be on top of it every day, every month, every year to keep that pipeline filled, to keep everything flowing. You can't put that in your head thinking, oh, because I'm black, that's not gonna happen for me. You know, right. I've never had that experience where I was shunned or shied away because the color of my skin. And I never put that in my head. So I never got in my own way with that. I, right. you know, I felt like I carried myself in a certain manner and I carry myself in that manner today. I speak well, I'm educated, I'm attractive, I dress well. There's no nose there. Mm -hmm. If I come and I know my business, there's no stopping me because you're going to be, first, you're going to, you're going to love the presentation and you have to have that kind of um, fierce confidence. Yeah. And that confidence is something you, you have to experience to grow. With. You know, it, if you're not confident in yourself, no one else is going to be. If you don't carry yourself a certain way, no one's gonna help you carry yourself that way. You have yeah. to experience, it's like certain things. You have to, you know, I think everything that I've done in my lifetime is a culmination of who I am now. You know, yeah. when I was a young girl, certain things I did that probably wasn't appropriate. Once I understood that it wasn't appropriate, I corrected them. You know, yeah. I always tell Asians, they're, you know, there's a certain way you have to present yourself when you're out there selling to people, especially, you know, people of a certain wealth. This or is people, period. I mean, you don't know who's going to show up. The grandmother, the grandfather, the kids, the dog, you don't know who's going to show up. So you mm -hmm. have to be respectful of that. You can't show up like you are going out to party. Yes. You have to show up in a professional manner, you know, and if you don't have to break the bank to do that either. Right. Let me say uh, this. Yes. Us is, you know, and when I say us as folks, we got to get out of our own way. We got to get out of our own way with the black white thing, because if you're good, you're good. Nobody's going to take it away from you. Somebody's going to somebody's going to put you down, so to speak, no matter what. Because not everybody is the same way or think that way. 
but we must get out of our own way. And the first question I used to get, well, I don't know, I don't think I get it anymore, but from a lot of real estate agents, they would ask me, how many black clients do you have or customers do you have? Well, in my whole career as a real estate agent, I'll be honest with you, I think I've had three and I've closed a lot of deals. <laughs> but yeah. no matter what, no one, none of my customers could ever say they were treated any differently from anybody else. If you bought a $7 million home for me, you were treated this way. If you bought a $700,000 home for me, you were treated just like the $7 million customer. I treat everybody the same. They get the same service. I'm on the other end of my phone. I pick up my phone every day, every time someone calls me, unless I'm busy doing something and I'll text, I'll call you right back. But, you know, and I'm always surprised when someone says, you picked up your phone? <laughs> this is what we do. Yeah, I heard that before yeah. too. It's the most oh, insane sorry. thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, you, you guys pick up the phone? Like, uh, yeah, I have to run a yeah. business. Like, like, I'm not like just pretending like this is actual business. I, exactly. You know, somebody's got to pick up the phone. Um, also, I wanted to say, you know, excellent, excellence is often undeniable. Um, and so even if somebody hates you, let's say in theory, somebody did hate you. You know what? If you're really good enough, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, then they'll work with you anyway, or <laughs> it really doesn't. So on, in that case, um, and in extreme cases, because I've been on both sides of the coin, in the extreme cases, um, sometimes you have to think of workarounds um, rather than quitting. Um, and sometimes you have to come up and do things a different way. Um, and you'll and you'll get you'll get a better or similar result. Um, and so things just take time. Um, and being excellent does that helps shield you a lot, um, a hell of a lot. So. Also, before I, <clears throat> before I dive into what it takes to be excellent, because we're definitely going to get into that. Um, and I don't think, because I don't think people realize the grit that it takes to turn the corner. Um, how, because touched, you touched on this while you were talking, I want to pick up back on this. How important is image in, in business? Um, Huge. I wanted to touch on that with you a little bit. Image is very important because people judge all the time. You know, um, when you show up, you have to show up correctly. Mm -hmm. and like I said, you don't have to break the bank to do that. You can wear the basics just as long as things are clean and in place. And, you know, as far as females are concerned, your hair, your nails, your makeup, you know, your shoes. Mm -hmm. If you're going to wear something cut out, you know, because it's hot down here. Mm -hmm. You know, shoes that are cut out sometimes but it still has to be on a professional level. And there is a way of dressing professional and still being comfortable or even business casual. Um, I've never shown up any differently. You know, if I'm, in a, if I'm at an inspection, yeah, I might show up in, in, you know, maybe a gym attire because I know I'm gonna just be sitting there and that is that day. But you know, it's, those days are kind of far away now, um, mm -hmm. but definitely professional attire in this business. It's right. Just, you know, and it, some it, don't. <clears throat> I see a lot of agents, I walk, I walk in and I go, wow, okay. But that's mm -hmm. my thing. That's right. what I want to do. I 
project a certain, you know, professionalism for myself also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, do you feel, I feel at a certain point and I'll ask you if you feel, if you feel similarly, I feel at a certain point, you do have to kind of look the part, especially depending on who you're talking to. Um, it was, a. Uh, now, this was all a, um, a what do you call it? I, I guess a, uh, a new thing for, for me to, to think about. Um, <clears throat> and so I think there is like a level where for somebody to take you seriously, they're going to look at little cues and, uh, you know, it might be it might be the right name you have to have on that particular. It could be subtle. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be like how people think. Like you don't need a, a suit that has Fendi all over it or something. You know what I mean? Like some type of, yeah, that's not how it is. That's not how, it's very, it's kind of subtle. Like, yeah. Oh, okay, I know. I, <laughs> go ahead. A lot of wealthy people, I call them quiet luxurians. You don't even know they're wealthy. Mm -hmm. They don't care about that. But if you're going on the first, you know, first impressions are everything. Mm -hmm. Not that you're supposed to go downhill after, you know. And then I have some colleagues that say, you know what? You dress professional until you don't have to. Where mm. you done made it to the point that they don't care if you show up professional because your name supersedes all of that. Right. But that's just, I think that depends on the person too. Yeah. You know, and for me, I will always show up a certain way. Always. Right. That's just who I am. Um, mm -hmm. carrying the best bag, wearing the best shoes, uh, you know, wearing the belts and all that and everything. To me, I don't think you have to do that, but some people, you know, it's this trend, it's like sheep. We start following everyone, you know, we it's like everybody wants white cabinets today and white quartz countertops. And it's like sheep, you mm -hmm. know, they, because everybody else is doing it, that's the new trend. But when that trend falls off, you're gonna either fall back on something you really liked as opposed to that's the new hot thing to be, that's the, you know, the, the latest thing to, to, to do in your home. Um, and that's the same thing with the way we carry ourselves, you know, whatever's the hottest thing. I mean, I don't know one agent that, will, that doesn't have a Ferragamo belt or a Gucci belt and it's not front and center, or Hermes belt, and it's not front and center. Mm -hmm. it, it's something that, I don't know, validates them in a way. And it doesn't, and what I'm saying is it doesn't have to be that way because the most expensive things, you can't even tell what they are. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen the same brands and you see none of that. Mm -hmm. You know, even the brands have caught on to that. Yeah. The bigger, the more they buy. I mean, you go to some of these stores and the lines are around the corner for Gucci and Ferragamo. And I mean, you know, you're like, wow, is this, this is really interesting. But yeah. you don't have, like I said, you don't have to break the bank to do it. You have a nice pair of shoes on, you have a nice suit on or a nice shirt and a pair of slacks, you're fine. I mean, it's still a level of professionalism that you're, you know, the way you're carrying yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't think we all have to, to validate ourselves by wearing those things or even having the best watch or, you know, 
I hear agents talk about it all the time. I can't wait to get this watch. You know, it's going to be right. You know, mm-hmm. and I just I say to myself, "Wow, you're going to break the bank. How about you can't wait to buy that building mm-hmm. that gave you the income to buy that watch, and then you don't have to hustle so hard and spend all that money on that watch, and now you're going to broke the bank. You can't even buy the building. <laughs> you know, buy a building that's going to give you income until I don't know when." Mm-hmm. You know, so it just depends on your your mentality as far as that's concerned, or you have enough finan- you're financially stable enough that you can do both. Mm-hmm. But yes, showing up properly is definitely a good thing. Right. You know, and I say show up with the basics and you'll still be respected. Know your business mm-hmm. more so than anything. Yep. Yeah. So, um <clears throat> Yeah, in some businesses, it's more important than others, you know. Um, yeah, so um, I think whenever you're servicing something that has to do, servicing somebody that has to do with money or has to do with luxury, it's going to be a bit different than, you know, you're, you're a construction guy and just like coming in, you know, it's completely different. So, yeah, it, I think it's real heavy and anything that has to do with, service especially if it's anything financial anything has to deal with assets well you have to understand the people that are that have wealth have you know enormous amounts of wealth Mm -hmm. they are surrounded by people that are experts they can buy anything they want and if they choose you they feel as though you you have the knowledge um and the resources to get the job done because that's what's important right think about it, a young, someone that's 24, 25, you know, even 30, you're talking about an older gentleman or an older female that's, you know, 50s, 60s, maybe in set, maybe 70s. This is not their first home. This is their fifth home. And it's six, seven, eight, maybe $10 million. Well, they want to know, what have you done? What's your track record? How can you get this home sold for me? How fast will you get it sold? Do you have resources that I need if I purchase this home, as opposed to selling it, if, as opposed to having a, you know, a buyer, you have a seller. What are your resources to help me get this house sold? What if that seller back is up against the wall? What can you bring to the table you know, as far as value add? What's your value add? And if you can't go there and tell them that and show them that, not only just speak it, you gotta show it then what use are you? Right. And that agent that's coming through the door that does have that, that track record, those properties that they have sold, those resources, you know, whether it's, you know, an auction house, you know, that can get the home sold quicker, not less expensive, but quicker because they have real buyers that go that route to buy those type of properties. And right. sometimes get even more than the list price because it is an auction. Do you have that resource? Do you have a resource, an insurance company that can, you know, insure their domestics? Do you have a hard money guy? You know, do you have a wealth manager? They might be wanting to switch up their wealth manager. You know, wealthy people like inexpensive money too, because other people's money is the best money, isn't it? (laughs) So, you know, do you have those resources in your toolkit to share with them, to help them, you know, and and there are certain resources that they look for you to have. Do you have the guy that can work on a $10 million house? 
Do you have those craftsmen if something happens? You know, it's not the handyman. Mm. These are experts that come in. Do you have if something's going wrong with the house? So all of these questions, you know, could come up and you can't sit there and go, you know, that's a great question. I'm gonna get right back to you. Right. <laughs> no, no. You have to say, yes, I do. You know, yeah. I have whatever you need, I have. Mm. And you have to know these people, whether it's insurance, finance, you know, the ability to take care of the home while they're away, an estate manager. These are, this is the type of customer you're dealing with that is used to that service. And they want someone that's in the know and is knowledgeable about taking care of their property because they might not even live in the property for six months out of the year. Hmm. Yeah, I bet there's tons of people who are not looking at it like that um, to where you got understanding you're being a complete almost a one-stop shop of knowledge and resources rather than just oh we're just selling you a house absolutely they, they can have anybody just selling a house see the conversation changes the higher you go yeah you know i recall when i was getting into the multi-million now selling a million dollar property is one thing but selling a multi-million dollar property is a whole nother ball game and i remember when i was selling my first multi-million dollar property I was not completely in control and I was used to being in control. My customer wanted to approve everything that I was doing. Can you imagine when you know you have good people but then you have to go to the next person and say, is this okay? That was a whole nother level for me. Mm -hmm. I had to, they had to approve my photographers. They had to approve, approve my videographers. They had to approve my guest list. They had to approve my marketing and I had to put it all in writing because if I dropped the ball, guess who they're coming back to? Right. And not only, that, not only that, I didn't deal with my customer. I dealt with their liaison. So, you know, I was like, okay, wait a minute, this is different. And never met that customer until I actually had the grand opening or, you know, launching of their property. Right. So, you know, you have to be prepared for that. You can't just go there and talk about things you really aren't that knowledgeable of. Mm -hmm. And I say you, ex you have to experience a lot of that to be able to have that kind of conversation with them. Right. You know, do you know the difference between a $2 million house and a $20 million house when you walk through that door? Or are you just going to walk through the door and go, you know, this is the kitchen, this is the bathroom, and this is the master suite? Well, it doesn't work that way. You need to know exactly what's going on. Materials, craftsmanship, appliances, hardware, you know, all of it. You need to know, and you need to be able to call it off. Because if they ask you a question and you don't know, it gets very awkward. It's like crickets. <laughs> you don't want to be in the cricket mode. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of agents that do break, I don't want to say we're great, because that's not right. A lot of agents that do grow into the, the, million dollar level or the multi-million dollar market they learn as they go and trust me it comes up over and over again over and over again and as you get higher in the higher price point the conversation definitely changes you know and time is definitely of the essence these people are flying in on their private jets and like i said you might not even meet them 
The day you meet them, they might have you fly over to them and you're on their yacht having breakfast with them discussing the property that they have never been into. Or you found the perfect property for them and it's about 15 million. And they wanna ask you one simple question. So they fly you to where they are and you sit down and they ask you, well, Jane, tell me why you think this property is the right property for us. And that's the only reason you're there. And then you go on back and they'll get back in touch with you and say, okay, we're interested. I mean, so there's all types of experiences or they're not interested, keep looking, <laughs> you know? So you have to be equipped for all of that and be ready for it, depending on your market. Right. So with that said, um, I'm gonna rewind the clock a little bit. Okay. And because we're, we're, we're in luxury land right now. Yeah. And you know, we're dealing with the billionaires right now. So we got to rewind it back. And I want to get into some of the gritty part. Why, why we're having this conversation at this point in time is because of the grit part, really. Um, and, and, and the mentorship um, that came before that grit part. So I remember you mentioned for four years, I mean, you're, 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 you were you were breaking a little bit, right? And so it took a change. And I wanted to talk about some of that, some of the changes that were made. And also one of the parts of the book that I, I like is when you converted the closet into a, <laughs> into a, a, a call, a little, your little own personal call center. And you went in there and it's just like, you know, hey, this is Jane, da, 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 you know, all day. And I know a lot of people out there are afraid of getting on the phone. They're afraid of sales. They're afraid of uh, cold calling. Um, they're afraid of calling just in general. And especially for extended periods of time where you can be um, hung up on, cussed out, talk about your mother, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> right so um I, I wanted to touch on some of that and some of the some of the techniques you used the gritty techniques that you used to make that change so to speak well i had to take on a coach that was the first part because then i didn't know what i was doing i didn't understand what i was doing you know and there's a lot of people out here that say they're coaches but until you really have a coach, beware. <laughs> because, um, and you have to be coachable. Mm -hmm. So when I took on my coach, I'll never forget receiving his, uh, his resume and looking at it and thinking, oh my God, this guy has coached with Tony Robbins, you know, he's with some of the biggest and best people out there and taking them from you know here to there to another level. And I thought, wow, I don't know, this guy must have been handpicked for me. I'm not gonna be able to give him any of my BS. So I'm gonna have to do everything he says to do. This is my this is my time. This is my GPS. And if I don't take this on, it's not gonna happen. There was no going back. There was no turning back. You know, I put my last bit of money, it wasn't even my money, it was the credit card money. <laughs> so I put that last bit of credit card money down and I had to get back, you know, and I had other circumstances that were, 
you know, on my back that I needed to really take care of, which was very important. I want to make a point of that. On that credit card, how much money was that? About 15 grand, somewhere between, I, I can't remember. I want to say somewhere between 13 and 15 grand, which is not yeah. a lot of money, but it was a lot of money to me at the time. Because at the time. I, yeah, I right. was in a situation where I could not stretch any further. You know, and I had a lot of pride because I had success in the past, but with the market turned down and, you know, having a house and an apartment in New York and flying around, I mean, listen, <laughs> it was a lot. And um, it was one of those things, it was do or die. And then I had a mother, I had to make sure she was okay. I couldn't even fathom the thought of not being able to take care of that. And like I said, I couldn't go to my siblings. You know, matter of fact, they didn't come to me either <laughs> and say, here's a dollar. You know, so I had to make that happen. So there, there was a, a, you know, a fire in me that had to be, you know, walked through and then turned around and put out. So that's where the drive came from. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, it was a lot of work. And what, when you say, yeah, I went into that closet, I went into that closet hours at a time and not coming out until I was successful at what I was doing that day and repeating it. It was repetitious boredom, you know, and it's like you're in a cave, you're on the phones, but you know, when you think about it, you can't be afraid of it. They don't see you one, they can't see you. But if you know your spiel and you know what you're saying and all of it's canned speeches and you know what you're saying, you pretty much internalize those scripts and they become a part of you. So there's no fear. You just have to know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, um, but my coach always told me, it's a canned speech. Say it the way it is and, and, and know what you're talking about. What you ad lib is what you know about the market. But all the, it's all question-based. And if you internalize all of that, you're able to capture that person's attention. You know, and that's what started happening for me. I was calling day in and day out. I mean, it was like 120 days, anywhere between 90 and 120 days when I saw my business start turning because I stayed the course. I hear agents say to me now, um, you know, I was prospecting for about three weeks and nothing happened. So really, oh, okay. I remember prospecting for about four months <laughs> and something happened. And I mean, I was doing it five days a week, David. And sometimes on Saturdays, you know, because I might have missed a Wednesday because I needed that day to do something. So if I erased, I had to replace. That was what it was about. My itinerary was full. And even though my itinerary was full and I would get through it, I still found time to do other things because I was checking everything off every day. Right. And, you know, once you have a set schedule and you stick to it, you know, it's not easy to create a habit. It's easy to break a habit, but it's not easy to create a habit. So you have to create that habit so you're able to get in it and do it. And you have to take care of yourself at the same time because it's hard work, you know, but insurance people do it, stockbrokers do it. I mean, there you see it, the, the bell rings and they're on the phone. Yep. And that's what we do. We sell. You have to get in front of somebody in order to sell them. If you can't get in front of them, you can't really sell them, can you? Nope. 
And I think that I want to add context to what you were saying about the four months versus three weeks. Um, I think that people lose sight of the law of large numbers. And so part of the reason I'm always positive is because I believe, and I've done, so in business school, they used to make us do this on like programs and stuff like that, just to, just to prove the law of large numbers, which is if you do something over and over long, long enough, many, many, many times over, eventually it's going to work in your favor. This is just exactly. life. In nature. Yeah, it's, it's a law of nature. So it doesn't really even matter what it is. We're, today, we're talking a lot about real estate. It doesn't matter what it is. If you keep doing something over and over again, you'll have that one moment where it's like, uh, well, you know what, Dave? Uh, yeah, come on out. <laughs> that's all, that's all you need. Right? <laughs> that's all you need because that one little... That's right. One little thing, and then then you have enough money to maybe finance a, a, a easier way, or get more leads, or get yourself in front of more people, or whatever you're going to use with to do it. Um, and then you can maybe you can look the part a little better. You might be able to put some on this, you know? Because I know when I was, yeah. I mean, you might want to get yourself a respectable shirt, something, right? And it just comes from repetition being in pain, having people make fun of you, let them make fun of you. You're not going to make it. What are you doing this for? Get a job. All that. I got all that stuff. Um, I'm sure anybody else who went out on their own got all the same stuff. I'm going to oh, tell you to put it down. Laughing at me. Oh, she's in the closet again. Yeah. <laughs> they would laugh at me. Oh, she's in the closet again. I think the turning point came when the other two agents it was time for them to leave that office. And I came mm -hmm. out of that closet and had the whole entire office so I could do my job better. And my mm -hmm. broker saw that, you know, and I went to him and I said, you know, this can't be. I mean, they're just like, the office is a storage bin for them. They're not here. Why can't I have the whole office? I'm producing, you know, and I started noticing, you know, seasoned agents asking, can they meet with me to find out what I was doing? And I thought, wow, something's really happening here. Then mm -hmm. I saw my name go on both boards every month. So it was a little bit different. You get treated a little bit different then. Mm -hmm. you know? Now you are winning. And right. it takes a lot of diligence and hard work. Um, consist you gotta be consistent. You gotta follow, that follow-up is so important when you're in sales. If you don't follow up, how can you even find out what they're thinking? They might have been thinking about you, but you never called them back. Mm -hmm. you know, because you just felt like it's not going to happen because you didn't have that you know, confidence in yourself or your skill set. You know, it took me quite some time to you know, gain the confidence in my own skill set. You know, I was always like, oh, wow, maybe I'm not ready. I'm not you know, good enough. Or, and I had those same issues like any other agent would in the beginning of their career. But mm -hmm. once you learn how to do it, you should be able to, you know, take it on. And, it, you know, and another thing, you know, a lot of agents, they don't realize it costs money to be a listing agent. You have to keep those properties on the market. And then you have to know how to market the properties. I mean, you have to be somewhat of a marketeer. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
you know, and you have to be able to explain that to your customers, how you're going to market their property. Who are your media partners? They want to know that too. So, you know, it takes time to become that agent you want or you would hope to be, you know, with what you see in your own office or whatever company you may be with. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and I think I actually going to touch on that soon, the marketing piece, because people usually overlook that. Um, in all businesses, they think that money will override uh, strategy and marketing, and it actually doesn't. Um, and so when you decided, because really I see that as a decision, um, and you decided to be successful, like, no, this is it, we're done. Like, <laughs> um, after that switch, what I do like about, what I, what I liked about um, the book was you kind of showed that transition and you were careful about what you were putting into your mind. Um, and hopefully a lot of people catch this. It, no longer were you just, when you're driving, were you just listening to whatever, just, you know, kind of listening to the radio or whatever. You were intentionally putting on CDs because this is CDs back at the time. <laughs> download them all into my car. That was yeah. to me when I got the new car. I was able to download them. And um, <laughs> every day, it was being reinforced. Every day, I was listening to whether it was prospecting or marketing. You know, I was just totally engrossed into understanding and, and just having it, you know, drilled into me what I was supposed to do and how I was supposed to do it. You know, there was no more radio. I mean, well, I told you about the radio in the beginning anyway, but there was no more radio for me. There was just understanding how to, to make this happen, how to market myself as a realtor, you know, not a luxury realtor, but a realtor, a good one. You know, because just because you're not selling multi-million dollar properties doesn't mean you're not a great agent or a good agent. I know agents, young agents, 29, 28 years old, they're doing $100 million worth of you know, sales a year. You do the math. That's a mm -hmm. million dollars in your pocket after taxes, maybe 700. That's a lot of money a year and doing it consistently. So say you don't do 100 this year, you do 83. Or you do 107 the next year. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of money for a per one person. People don't make that in a lifetime mm -hmm. in this business that can be made. And I'm not saying that's from selling multi-million dollar properties because multi-million dollar properties or even a million dollar property can sit on the market for a year. Mm -hmm. Not in this market right now that we're in, but right. it can sit on the market for a year. And let's be clear about this market. We're not in a housing crisis. We're in a health crisis. So, you know, not to confuse the two. And the reason we're in a housing crisis now, because now we have moved into that, and the crisis is we don't have enough inventory. And people are buying out of fear. Fear that if we, you know, if we have another issue like the pandemic, we don't want to get caught in our little boxes. We don't want that open floor plan now because we might have to hide. <laughs> There's nowhere to hide if the whole house is open to the family. We need some rooms, we need some, you know, tradition here. So, um, that's what I think is happening. And now we have this, you know, somewhat gas crisis and the crisis is coming from the people because they're panicking from what has just happened recently with the pandemic. 
you know, but they're not listening. They're just panicking. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people are like, what, what's going to happen with the market? What do you think is going to go on? Well, I'm, I don't have a crystal ball, but what I do know is we don't have inventory and new construction is winning also right now. But we don't have inventory because we have a run on certain, you know, uh, southern areas because people believe that being in the sun, you don't have any problems with this pandemic and you can walk, you know, you can go swimming, you can ride your bike, you know, you still can get in your car and you don't have to be, you know, with a million people on the street, like in a New York City or, you know, uh, you know, Atlanta or even in Tokyo somewhere. I mean, when you're in New York City, you have to hold your bags tight to you because there's so many people on the street with you. Mm -hmm. But I think that is what's happening right now. You know, we, we, did, we never had a housing crisis. Now we are having one because we don't have the inventory to sell. Everything's going up, leaving, the, leaving from the, 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 you know, the market like hotcakes. It doesn't matter what price point it's at. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, that's what people have to understand and right now, if you don't have any listings, then you have no inventory to sell. It's very difficult for agents that are buyers agents because there's nothing out there really. You know, this is the first time I've seen the market like this. Wow. Because when we did have the housing crisis, we had more inventory than we could even think about having. They was trying to give the houses away. <laughs> they were trying to give them away, you know? Right. So, when you think about it, you know, there's no housing crisis. We just need inventory. Mm -hmm. With that said, <clears throat> how you feel like is, is it a good time for somebody to buy or should they kind of wait to see what's going to happen? Or how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, if I mean, I, I just experienced this just recently. I put a house on the market at one o'clock in the morning on a Monday by 2.15 in the afternoon, it was gone. And we, it was sold, you know, grossly overpriced. Um, was it worth it? A beautiful house, yeah. But at the list price, it could have been bought any other time, any other market we, have, we would be in, it would have been bought at list price or a little bit under, you know, give or take. Mm -hmm. This was way above this. You know, and it was gone. And we had, I would say, 42 contracts. I've never had 42 contracts on anything. So that, you know, that's interesting. Um, and I felt bad for some of the people that were really looking to buy the home for a family. That's, that's where I felt bad. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I had people hanging around until everybody would leave and say, well, what would it take me to get this house? And finance? You, you couldn't even think about being, you know, a buyer financing. You have to have cash right now. Cash is not only king, cash is King Kong. <laughs> cash is not king, King Kong today. So, you know, even the cash players, it's fear. I've never seen it like that before, like this before. I've never seen it this way. You know, uh, here's the thing. It's one thing to go out and want to buy a home for your family and be in a good place. And you're in a situation where you have to move because of whatever's going on with work. And you can't because you can't fill the shoes of that, those offers that are coming in. 
you know, like I said, I've never seen anything like it. I have really, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next 15 months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To touch back on, I wanted to kind of go back to something you mentioned. I want people to pick up on this. You had the four years. You had when you transitioned. Mm -hmm. You did four, you see, you did four years. It's not like, it's not like you weren't involved. You did it for four years. Yeah. And then in, and in 90 days difference because of the direction that you were given. And exactly. so you can be doing something for a long time and you're not doing it right. And so even though you have the experience, it's not the right experience per se. So um, I just wanted people to really pick up on that. And just because you're doing something, just because you're involved in an industry, if you've been doing it wrong, it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's right. And, <laughs> and everybody's out there to tell you that you're doing it wrong. And not only that, if they tell you and you don't listen. Yeah. And, and if you don't listen and, you know, it's a shame because you see, you see this in a lot of industries where, well, I, I've been doing this, I've been doing X, Y, and Z, but you never learned. I kind of, I paint it like this when I talk to people. There's, there's the fundamentals of anything. And when the fundamentals are done correctly, that's when you begin to bring creativity on top of those fundamentals. And then that's where the explosion happens. You become good, you become great. You become, you can become all time. Um, my favorite sport is boxing. So in, you know, my opinion, the best, the best boxer of all time is Floyd Mayweather. But Floyd, what they don't understand about Floyd Mayweather, <laughs> some people try to deny, I don't see how, but some people don't understand what Floyd Mayweather, um, he had fundamentals for a very, very, very long time done correctly by people who had boxed before. So he started boxing at three or four years old and your fundamentals are so solid that when he gets the ring and brings creativity to it, his fundamentals are so solid that he can do that and the, and the creativity makes sense. And see, sometimes people try to do creativity before they do any fundamentals. And that's where all the problems happen. You can't skip to, to creativity when your fundamentals suck. And well, so that's you. That's <laughs> me. I came from the entertainment industry. So, you know, um, I was doing the creative thought process of real estate is what I knew, I, you know. But that came into play and worked for me once I had the foundation. Mm -hmm. To me, you know, this business, maybe not right now because of the, you know, the market we're in, prospecting is the foundation of our business. I don't care what you say, it's the foundation of the business because the more people you talk to, the more people you touch, the more business you get. If people don't know you, people haven't heard about you, how are you gonna get business? You might get put on once, twice, even maybe three times. But this has to be consistent. This has to be a track record that you have to, you know, create. And yeah. only you can create that track record by doing the work. And the prospecting part is foundational, whether it's out, you're out there networking, because networking comes in different, you know, phases. You know, for me, I did the math. I thought, I talked to 300 people 
out of the three, I make 300 phone calls. Out of the 300 phone calls, maybe I'll talk to 50 people. Out of the 50 people, maybe I'll get 15, maybe 10 leads. Out of the 15, 10 leads, maybe I'll get five solid ones that I can follow up with and follow up with and follow up with. And at the end of the day, five out of the five, I get three, you know, home runs. Yep. And I do that every day. And I look at it like this, five days a week, 300 phone calls, 1,500. Out of 1,500, 1,500 people know about me now. Out of the 1,500, I might get 100 decent leads. Out of the 100, I might knock down 40. You know, it's all numbers. Yep. You know? That's the business in a nutshell. The, yeah. the numbers don't lie. If you're bringing in the numbers and you're doing it every day, in and out, in and out, marketing yourself, you know, touching people, prospect, it all, all of it goes together. The marketing, the prospecting, the networking, the touching people, the thank you notes, the phone call, I mean, all of it. You have to do it all. And then you have to follow up on it. You don't do it one day, two days, three days, one month. It takes time. And that's why I always say it takes time to grow into the luxury market. You don't break into anything. And if you break into it, uh, you won't be there for so long. Mm -hmm. You got to grow into it. Because then all the other things come into play. The conversation changes each level you go. Yep. The service changes the higher you go. You know, there are agents out there like Aaron Kerman. He's flying all around the world. He's doing, I would say, a few billion dollars worth of business, if not more. You know, and before Aaron, before you started hearing about Aaron, you heard about Frederick, you know, Ryan Serhan, Louise, million dollar listings. They changed the whole game of our business. This is not your grandmother's business or your aunt's business or the mom that wanted to just go make a few dollars. You know, my dad worked all day long and now she has a few hours to go and sell a house or two, you know. No, they changed the game. They changed the game with the way we carry ourselves, the way we show up presentation-wise. And that's why I say the agents, you can't break the bank. First of all, you have to realize those guys are magnified every day. They have exposure that you will never have because they're on television. They have millions and millions of fans and they have sponsors. Can that be you? I don't think so, unless you have the same exposure, you know, and then they, they, you know, they fabricated these people. They made them who they are. You know, they weren't doing the sales or the deals that they were, you know, they're doing on the shows. They have exposure. People want to work with them. You give somebody a camera and a mic, everybody want to talk. Everybody wants to say, oh, what's going on? And then to be a little quirky with what you do and how you do it and get the deal done, that's what everybody's seeing. All the real estate agents, they want to be that million dollar list agent. They changed the game. They're wearing three and $4,000 suits. Every hair is in place. Powder, makeup, drivers. It takes time to get those things. Mm -hmm. So you can't mimic them unless you have that kind of lifestyle. Right. Oh, but that's where it came from. You know, once that show, once those shows came out, changed the game. Changed the game for everybody. Everybody wants to look like them, be like them, and sell million dollar properties. 
So you forget the small stuff, which the small stuff, if you sell enough of it, can pass the big stuff because the big stuff might still be on the market. <laughs> and you don't sold 10 houses already. Right. But if you're concentrating on that $1 million property, you're missing out on a lot of other stuff. You know, so even though those four years I was chasing my tail, I was selling. I wasn't selling million dollar properties. Mm -hmm. I was selling smaller properties, but I also was gaining the knowledge. I didn't know that there was a dialer that I could buy. I didn't know that, you know, I could put on a set of headphones and go into a closet and call 300 people. Like I didn't know those things and nobody was sharing that with me. Not one person. I would see them on the phones and I would think, oh, I gotta get on the phones. And here it is, I'm dialing by fingers. And here it is, there's a system that could dial a hundred numbers for me within 35, 40 minutes. I just have to be ready to say hello and, you know. And you had the time and how much time were you spending when you're on the phone? Was it eight hour days? No, no, no. I would, I would set a three to four hour prospecting time. I, okay. would prospect, I would get on the phones probably like 8 a.m. in the morning. Mm -hmm. well, take that back. I would get on the phones maybe 8.30 because I would role play with someone. And we would, you know, have a conversation as if I was the seller, they were the buyer, and we would switch up. And as soon as we talked on the phone, I was like, hello, could I speak to Mr. So-and-so? Or, hey, is this so-and-so? I'm Jane Bond. I would go right into it. It wasn't like, well, what were you doing last night? No. When we role play, it was on from the moment we picked up the phone with each other. That was the understanding. That's how I was taught by my coach. So, you know, I would prospect three hours, maybe sometimes three and a half hours or money Monday would be five hours straight. And I would take 15, 10 minute breaks in between, you know, um, and hit it right back. And trust me, it was like being in a cave. You were, you had tunnel vision and you were just switch, you know, going back and forth with your scripts. I mean, I had that thing set up so tight, it wasn't funny, <laughs> you know? And um, now it's, you know, it's second nature. I could get on the phone with anybody. You know, it, it's not um, something I have to think about. And when I do speak to agents in my brokerage and, we, and I say to them, maybe we should role play a little bit. They're like, oh my God, you're good. And I'm like, I wasn't always this way. Mm -hmm. Second nature now. Now I, have, I can have a conversation because I've had so much experience behind me. And I know mm -hmm. the follow up with them, you know. Yeah. So that's, that's where it comes. That foundation, that prospecting is your foundation. That's very foundational in our business. Because if you get that out of your way first, to me, that's the hard part. You know, I used to say working out was the hardest part of my day because I would have to get up, roll out of my bed, and go work out like that. So mm -hmm. that was the hardest part of my day to me. You know, but after that, I didn't think about anything. I would now it was every, you know it was kind of downhill. Everything was easier. Mm -hmm. So once I incorporated prospecting, it was working out and prospecting. So those things were difficult, you know, because you had to have the energy and and the ability to stay up and be excited about calling these people. And then you had to switch up your tone. You know, it was all about tone. I remember calling my um, my coach saying. Well, what happens when they get on the phone and they're already angry? 
you switch tones. You're not that happy-go person. You, you, you have empathy for it. And so I'm so sorry. Did I catch you at a bad time, Mr. So-and-so? Maybe I can call you another time. Either he's going to hang up on you and go, you know what, Karen or Jane, listen, today is not a good day. And even if it was someone that it wasn't a good day, I made sure I called them back. Because you never know what happens in someone's life during the course of a day or the course of a week. It could be hell that has broken loose in their house, household. Or you might have caught them when they had, you ever have an argument with your girlfriend before you go in the restaurant? The whole night, it's like, oh. or argument with your husband, you're like sitting there, neither one of you is speaking because you're still steaming. Mm -hmm. so it's the same thing. You don't know what has happened in someone's home while you're calling them. And you, the first thing you think because you're insecure about doing it is it's you. Mm -hmm. You don't know how to switch up. Right. You hear that, guys? It's just like when you go to the ladies, they don't right. want to talk. You don't want to talk to you. It's, it may not be you. Right. You might have just been having a bad day. Now, you might be ugly. But, <laughs> but even if you are ugly, um, you know, you get a lot of stuff done. Um, ask the notorious B.I.G. Uh, right. That's one of the main things he's talking about. <laughs> so, um, so, I want to talk about this because I, I, I'm glad I didn't forget this. And there's one part where you're in Naples, you, you, you're doing the Naples thing, killing it. Then there's a, then you like have to get out of there. And you had to, and you had to switch to Miami. And, you know, I know it was like, it was real rough. Uh, you know, it, I know your husband didn't want you to leave, you know, and you just had to, you I mean, for some reason, um, the market changed, and you had to, and you had to really pick it up. So I want to talk about uh, the importance of being able to pivot, um, and and pivot quickly. I know that um, me personally, I did, and it worked out great for me. Um, and I know a lot of people have had to pivot recently, you know, with the coronavirus and some people weren't able to. And yeah. so that's kind of why I wanted to kind of bring this up. Um, and right. for people who haven't yet, who are still kind of struggling, because I know a lot of people are, um, just kind of want to kind of touch on and get you to touch on um, the importance of pivoting and how to kind of approach that. Well, you know, it depends on what's going on in your life. And, and for me, there were several things going on at the time. Mm -hmm. I felt like I, um, I knew exactly what I was doing here. And the market, at a few years ago, now we're not a seasonal place. We were totally seasonal. And after May, June, we flatlined. You know, there was nobody really in the market. We had some serious buyers that would come and kick some tires, I mean, serious buyers. And then we had a lot of people that would come and kick tires. Um, and to me, that was a waste of my time. And I thought, well, my license says Florida. Well, Miami is right down the road. Let me go there. So that's when I pivoted because it was important to me to continue with my success and not, you know, get comfortable. And also, like I said, for my soul, just wanting to see diversity and wanting to be over there, over there, you had nothing but diversity. You know, it was people from all over the world, just like New York, mm -hmm. um, of course, South Americans also, but 
it was just different for me. And I wanted to, I wanted to be in that market and sell too, because, you know, after a while we flatlined here. And it was really nothing, nothing to do, you know, and a lot of agents would go away during that time. And also I had capitalized on that too. I realized if the agents are away, now it's time for me to really buckle down and prospect because I'll be ready when we come back around, but why not fill that pipeline from over there, learn that market. So the next time we flatline, I know exactly where I'm going. And, and, you know, when that light bulb came on, I realized, okay, I have to figure this out. And not only that, it was time to make a move also. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to figure out, and that, that was one of the biggest decisions for me um, because I was with such a big brand. I was with Sotheby's, you know, and I had you know, dove in the pool and drank the whole pool up, you know. <laughs> I, was, I, I didn't take a straw, I took a mug, you know. I took a, <laughs> I took a pitcher with me and I was drinking it every day. And Sotheby's, I have to say, I learned a lot at Sotheby's and realized, you know, who they were, who they are, and realized that they um, they have the wealthy customers because of the auction house. You know, Sotheby's is one of the oldest real estate firms there is, and they are able to to keep those customers because they had them all along. You know, they service the one percent percenters of the world, you know, and if you look at who the one percenters are, you barely can see the hairline on, you know, on the graph. So they always had these clients and customers because of their auction house and they had a lot to offer. You know, you got a hundred year old company with a name that is synonymous with wealth. You know that you can, if you have the right home to market, it can go on the you know, the screens throughout the world in their auction houses. So that's huge for you because now the world is looking at you. Sotheby's is a true international company. I mean, you real estate firm, anywhere you go in the world, there's a Sotheby's. You know, if you read in the book, when I was traveling, there was an uprising of, you know, migration from different countries going into Europe and, and going, trying to come into America. And it was kind of unnerving, you know, you're traveling around the world and you're seeing this happen. You're not sure what's going on and you're outside of the country looking in and listening to their news. It was a little scary. And I thought to myself, I said to my husband, I said, if anything happens, we can go to a Sotheby's because that's where we're going to find refuge because I'm a broker, you know, I'm an agent with Sotheby's. So everywhere we went, there was a Sotheby's, you know, brokerage. And mm -hmm. I would go in, and that was a part of my networking. I would go in and I would introduce myself, and I met some really heavy hitters, you know, um, while I was doing that and stayed in touch with them. So that was a huge decision for me to leave a company like that, you know. Um, but in my uh, search for my new brokerage, I ran into Compass, who was disrupting the market at the time, not to the point they have disrupted now. But at that point, once they showed me what they were doing, and I had been with the Keller Williams, I had been with the Sotheby's, I had been with the Caldwell Banker, that was like, you know, being somewhat in marketing and being in the um, entertainment industry blew me away. So I tabled them for a year and circled back to them because I, I was watching what they were doing. And when I went back to them, I was ready. 
and I went with um, Compass. But I did go with Sotheby's, Sotheby's for a stint, really small stint over in Miami. But that was a big decision for me. Um, mm. So when you make those kind of decisions, when you decide to pivot, you have to know exactly what you're doing and who you can go. Mm -hmm. And even when I throw Douglas Elliman into the mix, they're nowhere near the Sotheby's. You know, Sotheby's will always be Sotheby's. They're the old guard. And like I said, they have the one percenters as clients, period. Some of the biggest homes in the world has Sotheby's names on it. I mean, New York Times, Mansions Global, Sotheby's. You open, a you open New York Times, the whole page of Sotheby's. So it's a wonderful company. And it just depends on, you know, who you want to be with. Mm -hmm. You know, each and every one of them taught me. I took a little bit from each of them to create my own model. And I learned something from every one of them. I was going to say, and so kind of moving forward, um, there's, I, I remember you, and I, now, now we talked about this before in the past, and it's when you're, you're working on this huge deal mm -hmm. and you're, you're talking to this lady and it's even more forthright in the book, like you explain how it's happening. And at first she's kind of, she's kind of office, you know, she didn't really want to, it seemed like she might've didn't want to engage as much. But then in conversation, because we're talking about Europe, and in conversation, you're talking about, oh, yeah, you know, I've been here, there, <laughs> you know, you're, you're able to have this conversation, um, a luxurious conversation, basically. Um, and what I, I wanted to kind of bring this up because I have something that I say and I think, and I think it's very important in sales, and I call it the show of power. And the ability to show power for whatever you're doing, um, that can close deals on, on its own. I don't think a lot of people understand that, especially by young guys. I talk to a lot of young guys and, and teach a lot of young guys. Um, and after we have these sessions about um, funding and whatnot, and they learn that stuff, I tend to talk about real stuff. It's like, okay, now you know how to do that. And that is important. I'm only going to say it's not real. Um, but I do like to talk about the stuff that's going to make or break you that you don't understand. That this, the soft skills, right. um, sales, business, like where how you actually make money so that the funding matters. Um, <laughs> so... Um, and one of the things is, and I remember bringing it up before, is the show of power. It's very important to be able to cut a lot. Now, it's not like you're, I say it with a lot of emphasis because it's something that needs to be said with emphasis for it to come across the right way, but it doesn't have to be forceful at all. It's actually, it's actually, it's Absolutely. often elegant. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's actually often elegant. You're talking about an experience that you had that shows who, them who you are, or you're talking about um, you know, something you've worked on that shows them who you are, right? And you're, or you're talking about detailed information that you would only know if you've, if you've done something in it or if you've had that experience or whatever. They, they won't even know. They may not even know what you're talking about, even all the better. Right. 
because now you're now you've asserted yourself as the teacher and they are now the student and i'll tell you what it's only you cannot break that dynamic in sales and business you need to be the teacher they need to be the student even if you're talking to somebody who has more money uh they don't have more money in the sense of having the experience of that you have in your field so at that point in time they are you know an employee okay and then you're you're the billionaire it has you have to maintain that that disposition as soon as that as soon as that drops you've lost your sale and not only have you lost your sale you may have lost a lot of sales or respect or something else if that shifts and that that's a huge dynamic of sales and what that part of the book is that's what I really what I picked up on um I kind of wanted you to kind of I know I said a lot <laughs> I kind of wanted you to touch on that as well it's you know and I think I was asked the other day are you ever are you ever fearful or you know if you're going to meet so-and-so or so-and-so would you be fearful is, is there anyone that you would be you know a little nervous about meeting I mean, we all have our, you know, Hollywood stars that we like, and you're like, oh, you get the jitters and all that. But when it comes to my work, no, I'm not fearful of being in the same room with anybody. I, I feel like, and this has nothing to do with vanity. This has everything to do with experience. I feel like I can sit and have a conversation with anyone and speak on their level. I don't think there's a level I could not, I can't speak on you know, because of my experiences in life, you know, and luxury, let's get that straight. Luxury is an experience. I mean, I have the luxury of sitting here talking to you today, and that's an experience for me, whether I like it or not, whether I take it and it was a good or a bad experience, it's still an experience. So, you know, when I was speaking to that particular customer, I'll never forget, I was sitting there and I remember the husband was just as lovely as he wanted to be, you know, and the wife was tough. She was a little tough. And I'll never forget, we, I went to the parlor to sit. You know, at the time I didn't know I was in the parlor. I thought I was in the living room, but I was in the parlor. And um, I remember her walking in and sitting down and I was, she was sitting across from me. And I'll never forget, she was, she was looking at me like this the whole time. The whole entire time. And up and down, sizing me up. I never let her shake me. Because I thought, you know, I thought, well, maybe she thinks I look nice, one. <laughs> or maybe she's sizing me up, trying to figure out, am I an imposter or do I really know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, finally, when she broke the ice, and I was talking to her about her home, how lovely it is. And I told her, you know, I said, you know, take for instance, the place that I'm selling for you, when I walk into that place, my impression of it is it's dark, it's a little drab, we need to lighten it up and you know, change the paint and do this because I'm very straight with people, you know. And um, I said, when I walked in here, it's so bright and cheery. And I mean, it's very, uh, it has a very nice French flair to it. You know, and I said, what you did with your floors is amazing. And I told her what I knew about the floors and everything. And then when she finally broke the ice with me, because she wasn't really talking, she was just shaking her head and rolling her finger around her chin and her <laughs> under her nostrils. And when she finally said to me, so where are you and your husband's summer? I almost started 
laughing my head off because I thought, wow, I'm in Naples. It's 99 degrees here. Where else are we going to start? Right. This is the <laughs> summer. Okay, I know who she is. I know somewhat about her background. Let me just share with her, you know, a little bit more about me, which is personal, and I usually don't. And I said to her, I said, you know, when we're not here, because it's very hot here, we're either in Napa or we go to South Africa, or we might, you know, depending on what we want to do, we might even go to Dubai. And she started questioning me about South Africa and certain places there. And I was like, okay. That's when I realized, okay, either she doesn't believe me or she wants to really know if I've been there. Have you gone to this restaurant or that restaurant? Well, she doesn't know that we're diners and we go everywhere. So that was the interesting part and broke the ice with her. I'll never forget how she leaped up and she wanted to show me the rest of the house. Now, they had two penthouses. They lived in one, which I did not know they lived in the same building. And I was listing the other penthouse, which needed work. So when she started showing me around the house, I started sharing with her this, that, and other, and how I had done that for this person and that person. My husband, he got excited because he knew the names. So um, I think that probably sealed the deal for me. Even though when I spoke to him the first, the second time around after the fact, he was entertaining another agent and I shared with him, why would you use that agent in the agent you know, market? It's yay big. And here it is, I'm with Sotheby's and we have the world to market the place. And I travel the world. So, you know, that was really interesting to him and I got the job. So yeah. um, when I say you come equipped with your arsenal, you come equipped with your arsenal because you have people that you know, they have more money than God. And they're used to the best of the best. And they're used to people that know what they're doing. And if you can't play in their sandbox, then guess what? You're not allowed in it. And if you are allowed in it, you better come with your own toys. So, you know, that's how I see it. And, and there's no need to be fearful of anybody on any level if you know your business. Even if you haven't traveled to, to Dubai or Egypt or any of those other places, you still should be able to have a conversation with them. And you still should be able to tell them how you're going to market their property or get it sold. Right. And, um, you know, that, that's just the bottom line. Yeah. And, and I think there comes a point where you can talk about your real life. I know I have, I know I have before. I mean, I'll just tell people the truth. I mean, sure. I mean, your truth is your truth, and people can suss out when you're not sharing your truth. And not yeah. only that, it doesn't have to be this elaborate life either, because people get it. People, you know, a lot of the wealthy people I've worked with, they worked hard for their money. They mm -hmm. weren't entitled. I mean, they didn't just get it given to them. They worked hard. So a lot of people, like my one of my um, customers. I mean, he worked from when he was a kid to his success, you know, so it just really depends. Yeah, but and when I say when I say the truth, I mean, for example, sometimes now I don't I don't take every call now, Pace, but when I when I when I do take calls, I mean be honest, look, I tell I've told people the truth. I mean, I don't care whether you whether you buy it or not. Because the reality is, I'm still going to get my same car, drive down the coast, enjoy my real and real life. 
Well, me, I really do feel that I, and, uh, and this is where things really did change for me. And I actually started doing this early, but I really don't, I'm very indifferent. Mm -hmm. I'm right here all the time. Right. I don't care whether, because I know that I have the best on the market. Mm -hmm. If you refuse, that is to your own detriment. Right. And it does, it's not going to hurt me or change my lifestyle. Right. I'm going to jump in the same six-figure car, drive down the coast, join the rest of my day. It doesn't matter to me. And, and, and the more that people understand that, I almost feel like the better. Because it, it, I think that my, and I think everybody's confidence should be so high about what they do right. that, and they should, and especially as you, as you become more successful, I mean, all these things will kind of speak for themselves and they'll speak for themselves in conversation. Um, right. And and a lot of times that sells your deal, that actually ends up selling your deal. So why is why I say tell people the truth, tell them the truth. I mean, it's not going to change anything, but I, but if you make the decision, it will change you. Right. And so it, if they're ready to have that conversation, great. And if not, well, it's like, well, <laughs> I think I gotta, I think I'm gonna go uh, enjoy the rest of my day. You know, with, yeah. it's nice talking to you. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, so um, one of the things I noticed that you really knew how to do is you, it's kind of like, it's like art. It's like you, 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 you knew how to paint the picture of what something's supposed to look like. And it seemed like, like, like very, oh, this needs to go here. This, we should change this. That. I think that you have to have an artistic skill Either you either try to build it as much as you can or a gift. A gift is better because when you develop a gift, it's even stronger. Um, and so I picked up on that and I just wanted to ask you about the importance of having almost being like a visionary or artist in, in your field and how, what kind of an impact that has. <laughs> the creative side of me, you know, I've always loved beautiful things. Like I said, I was sitting on that stoop dreaming about things that, and they're things, you know, that I wanted to have or the way I wanted to dress or the way I wanted to carry myself. And we all do it. We look at someone and go, wow, I want to look like that. You know, my God, when I get that age, I hope I look that good. And that car is amazing. I want to know if, I, if I'm ever going to have that. So, you know, um, one of my careers, I was an interior designer for many years and designed for some, you know, heavy hitters and still love beautiful things. Um, I have a good eye when I go into a house, I can look at the bones and say, okay, this is going to work. We can work with this. I mean, I'm one that can make a split decision in reference to things like that. Um, I'm really picky about the way a house should be staged when it comes to selling it. You know, I go there and I make the bed, I remake all the beds. I don't care what they look like. I remake them all. I try to utilize what they have to restage the house to give it the best look it can on camera. And not everybody has that ability. You know, I have one agent who asked me to spend some time with them on Saturday because they don't have a good eye like that. Because everyone can't visualize what something is supposed to look like. You know, I had another client who had 
I can't even begin to tell you how much stuff they had, and I'm talking stuff <laughs> they had in the home. And then when I cleared, it took me three months before mm -hmm. I put the house on the market because we had a lot of heavy lifting to do. When we cleared that house and she finally looked at the pictures side by side, her house sold in two months in a regular market, two months, 60 days. We finally looked at the picture side by side. She said to me, Jane, I didn't realize how much stuff I had in this house. She said, I will never live like that again because we sold her house and then we bought her another house and we're still friends. And I go to her house sometimes and she goes, I don't have too much stuff. I'm a minimalist now. Now she's a minimalist, but <laughs> you can't imagine how much, you know, things and items that she had from just over the years of living in that house. You're talking about 30 years of living in one home. Now she's moving. But you know, some people 30, even if they live in a house 30 years, they don't have that much stuff. <laughs> you know, they just, they like to be a minimalist themselves. So a lot of people can't visualize. And some people like to collect and hoard a little bit, you know. And my, my husband, he won't throw out a Christmas card. I'm like, my God, I mean, <laughs> you know, we have to wrap them up and put them away. I'm like, oh God, put them in boxes. You know, he said, these are people that care. So, you know, it's interesting, you know, the thought process some people have. Yes, you do have to have some type of creativity with it. And if you don't, then you bring along someone that does. That's a part of your arsenal we talked about. Yep. You know, if you know a good stager, you're bringing them business. These are the people that you, you, you arm yourself with and have as resources because trust me, you both need each other. You're bringing them business also. And don't forget to have them reciprocate with business that they get from you. You know, because our business, it's about relationships. It's about relationships with those banks, with those wealth managers, with those title companies, with those attorneys, with those insurance companies, you know, with those electricians and, and, and plumbers and, you know, estate managers. You have to have accountants. You have to have relationships with all of those people and you should be able to pick up your phone. So, you know, that's what's important also, you know, not only just being creative. You, like I said, that's a part of your arsenal that you carry with you. So, you know, and part of me as an interior designer, I had that already. I brought that to the table and that's something I would bring up to them all the time. I would say to them, I mean, former interior designer and I can see what we could do with this home to make it marketable, you know? And some of them would be like, oh, well, you don't have to make the bed. I go, yes, I do. I need that. I need this bed to be so tight that if I drop a quarter on it, it bounces. That's important to me, mm -hmm. you know? And even my ex-partner, I mean, he will call me and I go, I'm coming. Because you're not going to take pictures, and these pictures are going to be a representation of us. So I always share that, and I share that with my agents now. What you do is a representation of me. That's why you're here. So when you go out there, I want you to look good. Mm -hmm. Because people are going to say, oh, she's with the bond agency. They know what to expect. So, you know, it's important that you know how to do those things. Yep. And on that point, I just wanted to touch on the importance of marketing, 
um, and the importance of strategy as uh, marketing and strategy as a driver, um, and especially uh, to draw upon an example, especially the the really big deal. The I think it was four. Is it fourteen million? Eighteen. Eighteen. Jesus. Um, <laughs> so eighteen. So eighteen million dollars. <laughs> What I notice is, you know, yeah, you have your standard marketing, but you got a lot of free marketing from uh, networks and what have you. Um, and that's a big lift. I don't know if people realize how big it is to have a lot of free advertising, free marketing, um, and paid or free. I mean, you need to do it, and it's the core of the business, but... Um, that's really a kicker too. Whenever you can generate, even just by being out in the forefront, um, yeah. you you being um, you being out here on social media, um, there's always some type of soft marketing going on, right. and um, it's very important because people don't realize that's free. <laughs> that's, well, social media is free, but that yeah, marketing and getting that, you know content for social media is something different. Right. Yeah, you can get some free content, but you marketing yourself with your work, that's content that has to be, you know, garnered from your business, of course. Right. Um, and again, let's, you know, when we talk about marketing, you know, enable me being able to utilize those resources, that was relationship building. You know, I, I built my, my business based on my relationships. When I got that listing and several others, I had been doing a little bit of advertising here, a little bit of advertising there. But when it came to really going after those, um, those uh, associates, those partners, I had something to bring to the table. And I knew bringing that to the table, I would be able to utilize them because I had something they wanted. And it was in alignment with who we were, you know, and who they were. So I didn't align myself with anybody that was not in sync with my brand. And I went to people that I had built relationships with. I mean, if you remember in the book, when I went to talk to my wealth manager, which was my bank, Mm -hmm. I came to them with something. That's and right. I wanted them to pay for everything. I didn't, I didn't want to pay for anything. But I understood that they would and they could. It was just a matter of if I had what they needed and was I in alignment with their brand and I knew I was. And I was more shocked than anybody when I walked into the conference room, a part of the bank I had never been into, and they had a whole spread for me. I, I was sitting there thinking, I don't... I don't have time to eat, I gotta go, you know? I remember thinking, I can't believe they laid all this out for me. And even, you know, after that, a couple of years after that, I went to another wealth management meeting and they had a private chef come in the room for us. I don't even think like that. I just think, let's get down to the business. You know, I don't have time to eat. <laughs> I wanna know what you guys are gonna do and I'm gonna keep moving. And, you know, so when I went to them and they said yes, and then I went to my media partner. First, I had to get somebody to pay for it. And then I wanted to get the exposure. So this is how my mind is thinking. And that comes from being a manager, entertainment manager, being able to pitch my people to other people to get them to utilize them. So I thought to myself, 
and, and that was another part of my thought process. If I had someone that managed me and looked after me and showed me how to do things the way I showed my people when I was an entertainment manager, and that was in eight. I mean, I was in New York City. You had to think quick. And I thought, wow, I could become that success. And that was the coach. That was that part, finding that coach to coach me because I was their manager. So if I found someone equivalent to me for them, I could be successful. And that was the thought process. That's why I laid my credit card down and I said, I'm gonna take a chance. And you know, with that being said, you know, fast forward thinking when I got, you know, a certain listing or a certain amount of listings, I needed to market them the right way. And these people were coming after me. And then that's where, you know, I, I took that again from my past of being an entertainment manager. I saw video coming to life. Everybody was doing video. Forget about Instagram. It was more about, I um, can't even think of the social media that we had at that time. Not LinkedIn, but what was it? Something else we were doing. Facebook? Um, no, no. You're talking about more of like the, on the, more of a business? No, angle? I can't remember. It was more music, the music industry. Musically? Yeah, MySpace. 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 Yeah. So it was on MySpace. Oh, yeah. So, oh, no, you're going way back. Yeah, well, it's not yeah. that far back. Yeah. <laughs> 2002, 2006. I mean, uh -huh. MySpace. Everything, everything was about MySpace. Yeah, I yeah. In any of mine, there was no Instagram. Facebook was just becoming Facebook. And mm -hmm. I'll never forget, Skype was a big thing then, too. Yeah. Skype kind of disappeared. You know, TikTok is here now. But before mm -hmm. TikTok, what was it? It was the other little thing. Uh, Vine. Right. So, you know, all of that, you know, they come in spurts and they go. You never know who's going to be here to stay. Yep. So I took all of that energy and all of that knowledge at that point, And I thought, okay, video is happening. Now we have videos. We're doing Facebook. Everybody's on Facebook. How can I make this happen? And that's when I came up with the idea to walk this whole entire property and marriage. Dress the part, be the part, and be Jane Bond. And that's what came out of that. And that took my career to another level because no one had done that. You know, I was actually me, the agent, walking through the property, sharing with you what this property was made of, who did it, and why they did it, and how we got to this place. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the person that bought the property. The first thing they said to me is, I feel like I know you. I've seen you a hundred times on video. So, you know, that made an impact. Yep. And I finally sold the place. So, you know, everything you do is marketing in this business. You have to market yourself. You have to be out there. And yes, we do have social media, but you still have to have that content to carry you. Right. You know, I don't have a million followers, you know. I mean, I'm a real estate agent. Mm -hmm. You know, and then the visuals are very important to people. Staying live is very important to people. I'm not that person. I'm not live every, you know, 20 minutes or I can't do it. I have too many things to do or I don't have time to stack and record. You know, thank God the people that do it, God bless them. Right. And I mean, it's some really good marketeers out here mm -hmm. and they know what they're doing. So, and I know a few of them, <laughs> but I, I don't have that um, energy or, or the time to do it. You know, right. I take my hats off to them. They're doing extremely well. 
but that is becoming our calling card, isn't it? Yeah. I remember filling out a, a, something for a speaking engagement and they asked me, how many followers do you have on LinkedIn? How many followers do you have on Instagram? How many? I thought to myself, well, what about my work? <laughs> Forget about my followers, you know? Because to be honest with you, my clients aren't on Instagram. They are not on Instagram. Now my clients and, and the, the people um, that look to see what I'm doing are agents. And they have become the clients. But as far as me being a selling broker, my clients aren't on Instagram. Right. You know, they're not going Instagram to buy an $8 million house. <laughs> That's not the, you know, they don't even want to, they, they don't want you to, you know, like when I talk to a client, if it's a, my customer and we're meeting for the first time, my questions to them is how do you want to be communicated with? How do you want me to communicate with you? Email, you know, text, you know, phone. Most of the time they tell me by phone. They don't want me to deliver information by text. You know, you need that emotional attachment. Right. If the deal was closing, I want to talk to them. Hey, we closed this deal. If we got, we solidified the offer, hey, we got the contract. Now the work begins. Just because you get the contract, it's not over. The work begins once you get the contract. <laughs> so, you know, it just really depends. It really depends, David. And, you know, you have to, re like I said, in a nutshell, this whole conversation and even the book, and thank you, thank you guys for receiving my book. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, more surprised than anybody. I just wrote my story. But um, you have to know your business in your market. And for the agents who say, well, we don't have million dollar properties in our market, sell the filet mignon of your market. Okay, mm -hmm. the steak has a couple of sides to it. Sell the filet mignon. If your market, the most expensive property in your market is 700,000, then go after it. Right. You know, a few of them will make you that million dollar agent. Right. You know, and then make sure you understand what a listing agent is and what it entails. You know, you might have to be a buyer's agent for a while. You know, I was. And, you know, it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of time and effort to, to really become the agent you feel as though you want to be. And if that's the luxury agent, then trust me, it takes time to get there. And, and with that said, um, where can people find you and, and learn from you um, as it pertains to these topics that we went over today? Um, where can they find you? Where can they connect? I know you have a brokerage. Um, I'm sure people <laughs> might want to be part of the brokerage and learn these things. I mean, so how can people reach out? Um, they can find me on Instagram. Slide into my DM like everybody else does. <laughs> my assistant will go in there and check them out and figure out who's who. Um, some people pick up the phone and call me. It, I mean, I'm not someone that won't answer their phone. You know, and I think most people know that because some of the people that have called me, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking to you. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of strange, but okay. <laughs> it always surprises me. But, um, they can find me on Instagram. They can, you know, write to me in my DM. They can write, they can, I mean, if they, of course, if you Google me, you can find me anywhere, of course. Um, my number is always on my page. So it's not like they can't 
find me to have a conversation with me. They can even book an appointment and have a conversation with me or a consultation with me. Um, and again, I want to just go back to the book because I haven't gotten the chance to thank everybody that has uh, picked up the book to read it. And thank you for allowing me to be your best friend as you're going through my journey with me, which I, I think that's fabulous when I hear um, agents come back and say, I feel like you were my best friend and I was rooting for you and I had a tear and at the end I was so excited that you won. Um, I feel that way about all agents. I want you guys to win, no matter what it is. And if I'm that go-to person that you need to talk to about winning, then so be it. My phone or my door is never closed and my phone is never not on. Um, so I get it. That's what I want to say. I get it, guys. And it takes time, you know. And I hope you utilize this book as uh, a guide for you. It's not a textbook. It is a real story and I'm a real person and I'm really Jane Bond. That's my name. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. I'm the same girl that was sitting on the stoop, you know, at her mother's house, her parents' house in Philadelphia in the hood. And now this is who I am. So if I can do it, anybody can do it. And that's what I want to say. And I want to say thank you guys. Thank you. I, I love that you love the book. I really do. And that you're getting nuggets from it. And thank you, David, for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, this was great. Great yet again. I appreciate you coming on. And um, yeah, this has been great.